0: Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come now to your holy word, we do so knowing that no prophecy of scripture was produced by the will of man, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by your Holy Spirit. So grant now your spirit to us to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may understand your word as it is proclaimed in our hearing. Do this work in us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you'll now please open your Bibles to our scripture reading, our sermon text, Zechariah chapter 11, you'll find this in the Pew Bibles on page 798. Zechariah chapter 11, here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds. For their glory is ruined, the sound of the roar of lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs. One I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, But I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages thirty pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff. "'Union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. "'Then the Lord said to me, "'Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. "'For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd "'who does not care for those being destroyed, "'or seek the young, or heal the maimed, "'or nourish the healthy, "'but devours the flesh of the fat ones, "'tearing off even their hoofs. "'Woe to my worthless shepherd, "'who deserts the flock,' May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. This morning, our passage continues with the theme we saw last week, and which actually was introduced at the end of chapter 9 the theme of God's people as sheep and the Lord as our good shepherd. And yet, we have a sharp contrast here. What a sharp contrast! After two chapters full of hope and promises, this chapter is full of judgment. Not only towards the leaders of God's people, as we saw before, but also towards the people as well. And as we will see here, these words are not here to undermine the previous two chapters. The Messiah is still coming, and all God's promises are still yes and amen in Christ. Rather, as Zechariah acts out a living parable before the eyes of God's people, here he's actually pointing backwards. He is showing them their history to explain how they ended up in the terrible situation they are in in his day. But history always has an application to today, both to Zechariah's audience, but also to you today, this morning as well. As Zechariah shows how Israel had rejected the Lord as their shepherd and how they had suffered judgment as a result, he was issuing a warning to by no means repeat this pattern. By no means turn away from the Lord, your good shepherd. And yet, we don't always learn from our history. The patterns of history, how often they repeat themselves to our great hurt. And so this sad history, it plays itself out again in a second typological fulfillment in the betrayal and rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I urge you, brothers and sisters, pay attention to this living parable, that it not repeat itself in your own life, but that instead you enjoy the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ as your good shepherd. So let's begin looking at our text this morning. Before the living parable, our passage opens with a, po- a poetic lament on a related theme. It opens with this lament saying that the exalted will be humble. The first three verses contain some of the most beautiful poetry in the entire book. It's exquisite in its Hebrew parallelism, in its imagery. The only downside of this beautiful poetry is that it's describing coming destruction. The dominant image is of the destruction of these magnificent trees. First Lebanon is called to open its doors so that its cedars can be devoured by fire. Then the cypress and the oaks of Bashan will wail because its forests have been chopped to the ground. It becomes clear in verse 3 that this isn't really about trees at all. We hear then that the wailing, we hear the wailing of the shepherds Shepherds who represent the leaders of the people. And so you realize that the tall cedars, the cypresses, the oaks, all these represent leaders. Leaders who got too big for their boots. And so they are all chopped down by the Lord. Finally, these leaders are called lions to represent them as devouring wild beasts And they are now roaring with hunger for their thicket, their jungle hunting grounds along the Jordan River have been destroyed. And now they are going hungry, roaring with hunger. This prophesied destruction of the proud and devouring shepherds, it lines up with what we saw last time. Chapter 10, verse 3, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. We'll see the same message at the conclusion of this chapter as well. Those who exalt themselves, the Lord will humble. This is a warning of coming judgment to the leaders in Zechariah's day. And it stands as a warning to leaders within the church today. Jesus said we must always watch out for wolves who will sneak into the church. Those who will use ministry for their own personal gain. Who don't care how many of the Lord's sheep they will devour in the process. These false shepherds will suffer the Lord's judgment. After the passage opens with this poetic lament, this calling of woe, of coming destruction, then it turns to what can be called a living parable in two acts. Here, Zechariah does much more than just preach a message from the Lord. Instead, he performs a series of symbolic actions. He acts out the Lord's prophecy to the people. This was a strategy also deployed by other prophets. For example, Ezekiel made a model of the city of Jerusalem and he laid siege to it. He acted it out to predict the coming siege of the city. We also saw another example earlier in this book when Zechariah crowned the high priest Joshua and he prophesied over him of the coming Messiah who would be both a king and a priest. But this time it's more than... Just one action, it's almost like an entire one man play. As we work our way through the text, we'll first see the Lord's commission to Zechariah, verses 4 to 6, followed by Act 1, verses 7 to 14, and then the second Act, verses 15 to 17. The overall message is that the Lord has been a good shepherd to his people, but the Lord, the people, then rejected him. And so he gave up his post as shepherd, he gave them over to judgment, and then he placed instead a foolish shepherd over them. Now, this passage, it's very complex. It's notoriously hard to interpret. It's considered the most difficult chapter in the book and one of the most debated in the entire Old Testament in its interpretation. And I think the reason for this is because the parable has aspects that could describe Israel at several different points in their history. So some believe it's future-oriented, that Zechariah... Here is a shepherd representing Christ. It's future-oriented. Others take it as describing Zechariah and describing the people in his own day. But I believe the details best fit a description of Israel's history, specifically the time leading up to the Lord's judgment of setting them, sending them into exile. And that's the interpretation I'll present to you this morning. However, I, the reason it fits all these contexts is Because history has a way of repeating itself. And while the details best fit the past, the reason Zechariah was recounting this history was because history was beginning to repeat itself. It was beginning to repeat itself in his own day. And he was warning the people not to continue down the same road. And as we'll also see, not all the details of this passage, but many of them would repeat again, in the days of Jesus Christ. And so the Lord, he begins, he commands Zechariah, verse 4, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. This description of his people as sheep destined to be slaughtered it begins by opening this passage on an ominous note. And we learn why they are destined to be slaughtered in verse 5. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no Pity on them. You see three groups described here, all representing leaders who are betraying God's people. Those buying refer to foreign rulers who take advantage of God's people but have not yet been punished. Those selling refer to the corrupt Israelite kings who throughout biblical history would enter into whatever political alliances were beneficial to themselves, not concerned with how detrimental it was to the Lord's own people. They hypocritically praise the Lord, even as they profit from selling his own people to the slaughter. Their shepherds is probably a combined reference to both buyer and seller, or reference to subordinate leaders. But the point here is no one has compassion on God's flock, his own people. And we see the Lord's judgments for all this in verse 6, for I will no longer have pity. On the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord, behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from his hand. The Lord's pity has come to an end, and so his judgment is coming. And between the details here in verse 6 and in the enactment in the verses to come, It becomes clear that this refers to the devastation and the judgment brought on Israel by the Assyrians in 722 BC and on Judah, the southern kingdom, by the Babylonians in 586 BC. God's people will be taken into exile. So we get a little bit of an overview in 4 to 6, but then we have the report of Zechariah's enactment of this living parable beginning in verse 7. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered. By the sheep traders. I took two staffs. One I named favor. The other I named union. And I tended the sheep. Here we see as Zechariah takes over this work of the shepherd. Everything starts out well. Zechariah here is representing the Lord. The good shepherd. He's caring for the sheep. With favor in one hand. With brotherly union in the other. But as he begins to root out their poor leadership everything begins to fall apart. Verse 8, In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. There are many proposals for exactly who are represented by these three shepherds, but the reality is we don't know. I believe it's really a symbolic number, three for completeness. For completeness. But what we see with this action is even though Zechariah representing the Lord has eliminated the unfaithful shepherds, the people detest their good shepherd. This represents the relationship between the Lord and his people leading up to the exile. As he sent them prophet after prophet, they ignored them all. The Lord grew increasingly impatient and they utterly rejected and despised him. Utterly rejected and despised him. That brings us to verse 9. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who were left devour the flesh of one another. Since the people rejected the Lord as their shepherd, he will no longer feed them and protect them from their enemies, but rather he gives them over to their enemies into the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. His final line describes the horrific barbarism of cannibalism, eating one another's flesh, which is exactly what occurred during the siege of Jerusalem, when the hunger in the city grew fierce, as attested to in Lamentations 4.10, as predicted in the covenant curses, Deuteronomy 28.53. Along with resigning his office as shepherd, Zechariah breaks into two the two shepherd staffs. You can imagine him dramatically acting this out and explaining the meaning to the people. We see the significance of breaking the first staff named favor in verse 10, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. Now, some interpret this as referring to breaking the Mosaic covenant, but that cannot be the case. When the people were taken into exile, It's true that they had had broken the covenant, and the exile was the ultimate curse of the covenant that was still enforced from God's side. Even when Christ fulfilled the covenant and replaced it with a new and better covenant, it's never said in Scripture that God broke his covenant. Rather, this verse speaks of a covenant with all the peoples, referring to the covenant of peace God had made with the foreign peoples, the foreign nations to protect his people from them. But now he removes this peace, he removes this protection, and it allows these nations to attack his people to their destruction. We see in verse 11 that those who watch as they see God's judgment of exile crashing down on the heads of his people, that they know this is the fulfillment of his word, the fulfillment of the covenant curses as declared in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Then Zechariah breaks the second staff, Union, in verse 14, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Now this goes back a little further in history, referring first to that original breach when Jeroboam rebelled against King Rehoboam. He seceded from Judah with the northern ten tribes. This separation was further sealed when those ten tribes were carried off into exile into Assyria. One reason I believe Zechariah is recounting past history is that in the previous chapter, chapter 10, one of the key promises concerning was concerning the restoration and reunification of Joseph and Judah, of north and south. And so it doesn't make sense that Zechariah would then contradict his own prophecy here in the very next chapter. First promising a future reunification, and then immediately after, an annulment of that brotherhood. But it all works together beautifully if this is speaking of the past, speaking first of how things fell apart, while chapter 10, just before, points to how the Lord will bring this brotherhood back together. Now, between the breaking of these two staffs, Zechariah asks for his wages, verse 12. And I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. You ask, what's going on here? The idea is that they have rejected Zechariah representing the Lord as their shepherd. And so he has given up his post. He's asking for a lump sum severance payment for all the work he has done. And they're glad to get rid of him. Go away, get out of here. How much is... All the work that the Lord has done to shepherd them worth. Now, in one sense, 30 shekels is a substantial amount of money. Two and a half years wages for a common laborer. And yet, any amount of money is an insult to pay to the Lord. Saying, this is all that your shepherding is worth to us. Furthermore, according to Exodus 21 32, 30 shekels was the restitution price for the accidental killing of a slave, which means it was probably around the average market price of a slave as well. What does the Lord think of having his loving care for his people as their good shepherd compared to the price of an ordinary slave? So verse 13, Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord. The potter. Here we see the money is rejected. It is thrown to the potter. It's sarcastically called a lordly price. Uh, We can't be certain of the meaning of throwing it to the potter, but one possibility is that this potter was actually a crafter of idols working right there in the temple courts because things had grown so dark in Israel. And the Lord was actually showing the people that by rejecting him they were actually turning to idols. And so that brings us to the conclusion of Act 1. The Lord had been a good shepherd to his sheep, but they had despised and rejected him. He resigned his posts. he received pitiful wages, and left them to their fate exile. Does that mean now they're free from shepherds? Not at all. Instead, they will have a foolish and worthless shepherd. This brings us then to act two of the play, verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. Likely, Zechariah is taking up again that familiar shepherd's clothing and staff, and now he will play the fool. It's that concept you're so familiar with if you've ever read through the Proverbs. The fool who lacks all wisdom, the fool who does not know the Lord. And we see that this foolish shepherd does everything upside down, everything backwards, the exact opposite of what a good shepherd would be, as he's described in verse 13, verse 16. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. This description is a description of the worst shepherd you could ever imagine. And it's a description of what God's people would suffer under oppressive foreign kings, as well as what some of their leaders would be like during this time when they were being ruled over by foreign kings. When Judah was taken into exile, many of the people lost everything. This description of the foolish shepherd could describe many of these foreign rulers right up to Zechariah's day and afterwards. If God's people didn't want him to be their shepherd, then he would afflict them with these sorts of shepherds. And this judgment was to show them their need for the Lord, their need to return to him, the good shepherd. And just as this chapter opened with a poetic lament, it closes in the same way in verse 17. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered. His right eye utterly blinded. Here we see a final hope. The Lord's judgment will come on the worthless shepherd. Here is that glimpse of light at the end of a dark tunnel. And since the Lord will judge this worthless shepherd, his people know the good shepherd has not Holy, abandon them. He is still their God and they are still his people. The Lord is sovereign and he will deliver them from this worthless shepherd. The overall message of this living parable for the people of Zechariah's day, as they look back at their history, as they see all that has happened, is to learn the lessons from history and not to repeat their history. They need to repent and trust in the Lord. To know that their God is a good shepherd who will provide for them. Who will protect them. Who will guide them. They simply need to trust in him. And there's not a record here in Zechariah of how this message was received by Zechariah's audience. But we do know that history was to repeat itself one more time. with the coming of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He was the long-awaited Messiah, the one foretold by the prophet Zechariah himself. And now he had come at last, taken on flesh to save his people from their sins. And he declared, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, John 10, 11. And this is what he lived out in his ministry, teaching the people, guiding them, healing the sick, providing for them, feeding the 5,000, caring for the poor and the needy, even raising the dead. He also came to expose the false shepherds over his people, whom he called hired hands who did not care for the sheep. That's why he was so often in conflict with the Jewish leaders of his day. In Matthew 23, he denounced at length the Pharisees and the scribes exposing their pride, hypocrisy, greed, and lawlessness. Everything that we found in Zechariah eleven, one through three and fifteen through seventeen could be applied to them. What does the good shepherd receive for all his careful work of rooting out these false shepherds? And for all his careful work of shepherding his people? He was betrayed by one of his own disciples, rejected by his people, and crucified. It's especially in his betrayal by Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver that we see history repeat itself. And when Judas felt guilty and threw the money back into the temple, he didn't know that he was following the pattern. Neither did the chief priests when they bought the potter's field for a burial place. But Matthew pulls all the pieces together in his gospel, recognizing this as a fulfillment of prophecy following the pattern of both Jeremiah's purchase of a field and Zechariah's 30 silver pieces thrown to the potter. And so just as God's people had previously rejected him as their shepherd, so also Jesus Christ, God come in the flesh, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, he is betrayed for the same lordly sum of 30 silver pieces. And yet this time, even though he is rejected, He does not give up his post. He does not break his shepherd's staff. He does not abandon his sheep to the wolves, but rather he lays down his own life. He becomes the lamb led to the slaughter in place of the sheep so that they can be saved. He laid down his life as a substitute for his sheep. He bears their sins. He bears our sins on the cross. He does this all for all who will trust in him. He is truly the good shepherd. So what should we take away from this passage this morning? Let me urge each and every one of you, do not repeat Israel's sad and tragic history. For the choice lies before each of you as well. You can trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, to be your good shepherd. Or you can go down the other path to reject and despise Christ a shepherd. You can, if you reject his grace and mercy, the Lord will reject you as well. You can try to be the shepherd of your own life, but the truth is you will be a foolish shepherd. And though you may enjoy sin and its pleasures for a time, you cannot escape God's judgment. We saw but a faint shadow of God's wrath described in the imagery in this passage this morning. Trees consumed by fire. Great trees chopped down. People devouring one another. Those are but a shadow of what God's wrath is like. And so I urge you to flee from the wrath of God and flee to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Receive him. Trust him. Follow him. Submit to him. Learn from him. And love him. And the good shepherd will guide you, protect you, and provide for you. Most of all, he will forgive you of your sins. He will cover you with his righteousness. He will give you the gift of eternal life. At the same time, Jesus does. He does tell you the reality of what it is to follow him. He calls his disciples to count the cost. The world will hate you as it hated him. He calls you to die to yourself, to take up your cross daily, to follow him as sojourners and exiles in this world. But even with all this compared to trying to make your own way, trying to be your own shepherd, trying to save yourself, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls, Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. I trust most of you here this morning have already made that decision to trust in Christ, to accept him as your good shepherd. I remember that Zechariah was preaching this message, this message full of doom and judgment and warnings. He was preaching this message to God's own people. And so for them, it was a warning and a message to continue to trust in the Lord, the good shepherd, to learn from history, to not turn away from the Lord, to hold fast to him. And for we who live after the coming of Christ, we who have seen and tasted even more abundantly how good the Lord is to his people, we have even more reason to trust him, to love him, to give him all thanks and praise, and so to pour out our lives as a living sacrifice in his service. He is truly the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And so all glory, thanks, and praise are due to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, passages like this are deeply sobering to us as we see a description of the unfaithfulness of your people, whom you showed so much grace and so much love, and yet they turned from you. And we look at Christ and we see how much He has loved us and how much grace. He has shown to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would always uh, remember his love and always walk in his love and always love you in return. We thank you for his grace and the love that he has shown us. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to learn the lessons of history and to respond with gratitude, respond with love. You are our good shepherd. And Christ, your son, is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. May we uh, live lives of grateful response, serving and loving as he has loved us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.